Hey, um, quick word of thanks that you allow uh, the pastors here to disappear for a few days and go to uh, midwinter. Um, our pastors' conference takes place every year, especially this year because it was in Jacksonville, Florida. And on the day you were supposed to get nine inches, it was 80 degrees. So we, it was a wonderful conference, a good chance to connect with our colleagues, and I really appreciate it. We all do. So, so far in this movement of our current preaching series, we have been focusing on the word dwell, which is found in Psalm 27, verse 4, where David prays, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. We've been looking at different passages in Scripture that speak to what it means to dwell in the house of the Lord. And so far we have learned a couple of things. To dwell is to delight in and meditate on the word of God. We got that from Psalm 1. And it is to listen to, to converse with, and to wrestle with God. We got that from a portion of Luke chapter 2. And these words that we're looking at today from John 15, 1 through 8, are some of the last words that Jesus spoke to his disciples. They're part of what we call the farewell discourse. And speeches like this were common in the ancient world, in ancient literature. Great leaders would use them to speak with their followers about their impending death, what life would look like once they were gone, and how their followers were to live afterward. Part of what Jesus has to say to his first disciples in in this farewell discourse has to do with a very famous metaphor of the branches that stay connected to the vine. Verses 1 through 3. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that, it will, uh, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Each of those <clears throat> highlighted words, phrases uh, that I tried to emphasize a bit there could be translated uh, slightly differently than they are. The last two highlighted words, prunes and clean, are actually the same root word in slightly different forms. Um, Prunes is a verb and clean is an adjective, but they're the same basic word. So taking an equally plausible translation, Jesus could be saying, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He lifts up, instead of cuts off, he lifts up every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he cleans so that it will be even more fruitful, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. That makes those last two things sound like they're related to one another, which they are. Or it could be translated, uh, he lifts up every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already pruned because of the word I've spoken to you. The Greek word that causes all this confusion is the word, word katharos. Katharos. If we listen carefully, we can even hear in that Greek word the English word we have derived from it. Catharsis. To cleanse, to prune, to purge, to expiate. Catharsis. A catharsis is a purging or a release of emotions. An emotional moment in a movie can be a cathartic moment for you. It can, it can get you to this place emotionally that maybe you don't want to go or you're afraid to go, but then it can cause you to go there and there's a release this happened to me, I've shared this before, when, when I first saw the movie Inside Out in the theaters. For two-thirds to three-quarters of the movie, I was so mad at sadness. 
she kept touching everything and ruining it. I literally said, what is wrong with her? And then I realized, oh, I'm the problem. <laughs> and it was a cathartic moment for me because I, I, I discovered something about myself and it was a release. Or maybe you're going through a difficult time and someone makes a joke and you laugh and it just feels good to let off something. It purges us. It purges something from us. It gives us some relief. So we might even translate words, the words we use as clean and prune there, as purge or purged instead. In this image, Jesus is the vine, we are the branches, God is the gardener who cares for us. Now, vines today most often grow on trellises. When Kim and I were up in Michigan for uh, a summer vacation up on the uh, old Mission Peninsula, there were uh, vineyards everywhere, and they grew on trellises or on poles and lines and that sort of thing. In ancient Israel, however, um, grapevines often grew along the ground, like pumpkin vines do today. So this idea of lifting up the branches makes a bit more sense. The gardener picks up the vines, picks them up off the ground, cleans uh, the dirt and the debris off of them, and either puts them back down on the ground or perhaps props them up so that they might yield uh, healthier fruit. It is the gardener's job to take care of the vines and to make sure that they do the one job that they have, bear fruit. So the Father, the Father God's job then, as the gardener, is to lift us up, to clean us, to purge us, and yes, sometimes to prune us. For we, like those branches trailing along the ground, can often go our own way, away from the vine, and maybe fail to bear fruit. So this picture, as we're messing with the translation a bit, and not wrongfully so, I mean, I do think there's, there's debate about this, exactly what to do with these words. This picture is a more tender picture of the role of the gardener and the part that pruning and cleansing can play in the lives of us who have come to know and experience the saving and transformative love of God. And at times, I have heard people referring to God as pruning them, and the picture Sometimes, oftentimes, I'm not sure, but the picture I often get as they talk about it is as if God is walking through the garden with a machete going, just hacking things away and throwing them off. But that is not the way of the gardener. The, the way of the gardener is gentle and tender and caring. I mean, sure, sometimes things need to be pruned back or removed, and that is a painful process, but the purpose is to care for the branches so that they might bear more fruit. I don't, always, this may surprise you, I do not always know where I'm going to go from week to week in my sermon. I get stuck. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do with this passage. And so I'll have conversations. In the last couple of weeks, I've had conversations with the other pastors on staff. Both times those, those conversations have been very helpful. Two weeks ago, it was Pastor Kristen and Pastor Chuck that helped me out. This week, it was Pastor Kurt in a conversation down in Florida. Uh, and uh, also, believe it or not, it was a young man named Parker, our Uber driver from, uh, from the Midwinter Conference to the airport on Friday. Parker is 25 years old and had apparently given a few rides to Covenant pastors uh, during the week. As soon as we got in the car, he said, are you guys pastors? So, <laughs> And he told us, I like to ask Uber drivers, is this, is this your line of work or is this something you do? on the side or whatever, and, and the, the number of times it's someone who this is all they do. And Parker said, no, this was his full-time job, his and his wife's, because they 
had felt called by God to leave their full-time jobs and become Uber drivers for the purpose of sharing Christ with the people who get into their cars. We told him he had nothing to worry about with us. So for fun, and knowing that I was working on this passage for today, Kurt asked Parker if he had any thoughts on his personal experience of John 15. And he had. He knew exactly what the passage was. He even used the word pruning as he was describing what he'd been through in recent years in dealing with trauma and unhealthy relationships with his parents and in dealing with the faithfulness of God. Several times in the conversation, Parker referred to how painful the process was and in the same breath, how good it was and how good God had been to him. The process of cleaning, of purging and pruning is painful and good. So as we neared the airport, Pastor Kurt asked to pray for Parker. Parker said yes, and Kurt led us in a prayer for Parker and his wife in that last six miles to the airport. In John 15, verse 3, Jesus says to his disciples that he has already cleansed, purged, or pruned, again, depending on how we translate. He's already cleansed them or pruned them by the word that he has spoken to them. Now, the word likely refers to the whole of Jesus' teaching, what he's been teaching them all along in the gospel. For us, it is the saving word of Christ that we have been forgiven, that we have been cleansed, and the instruction that we find in God's word in the pages of Scripture and how we are to live. Then Jesus gives them further instruction in verse 4. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Clearly, the way he says it, the possibility is that we can either remain or not remain. There are two ways to live as followers of Jesus, as those who remain or as those who do not remain. And that word, translated as remain or abide in older older translations, is the Greek word meno. You may remember that this is a key word in Pastor Chuck's sermon when he candidated here back in July. It is a key word for understanding John 15. Indeed, it is a key word for understanding many passages in the Gospel of John. So, to meno, this is a reminder, is to abide, to dwell, to stay, to continue to be present, or to remain. We are promised by Jesus that if we remain, if we abide in him, he will abide in us. If we stay, if we dwell, we will bear fruit. If we do not, We will be like those branches that need to be lifted up, cared for, cleaned, maybe even pruned, depending on the situation. And then Jesus warns us in verses 5 and 6. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now, some of this sounds rather harsh if we're honest but we have to remember that this is imagery this is a metaphor and that means that while we must always take Jesus seriously we do not always have to take him literally this is not as much about judgment as it is about the sadness of a life that does not bear fruit the sadness of a life that is not deeply connected to Christ as deeply connected to Christ as it could have been a life that does not experience all that God has for us in Christ Jesus is unfruitful and withers. That does not mean we lose our salvation. It means we've settled for less. 
To wither and not bear fruit does not mean we've lost our salvation. It means we have settled for less than Jesus wants to give us. Furthermore, we are like a branch that is thrown away. Jesus doesn't say we will be thrown away, just that this is what we are like when we do not remain continually present to Jesus and his teaching. We wither. Remaining in Jesus and allowing Jesus to remain in us I think we know, is particularly difficult when the pruning and the purging begin. Those things can hurt. I have uh, been through times of purging and pruning in my life. I think most of us would say that we too have experienced seasons of pruning and purging and difficulty in life. These are painful times. Times when things aren't going away or, or may be going hard against us, in fact. But as Parker, the Uber driver, reminds us, these painful times are also good for us if we respond to them well. As a pastor, I often know what is going on in the lives of many of the people that I pastor, and I know that there are plenty of you here uh, in this room online, there are plenty of you here who are suffering uncertainty or fear or grief, any number of things for any number of reasons, even now. And if you, if we are listening, if you are leaning into Jesus in the midst of that suffering, that pain, that difficulty, that grief, the Father God may well be using this time to cleanse, to purge, to prune your life of things that don't make for health or wholeness or faithfulness. It might be a habit It might be a relationship or an attitude. It might be some idol that you cling to or something in your life that's good that you've made into an idol. And then in the time of suffering, God may be calling you to let go of these things, to give it up and to trust him in the process. For after the pruning and the purging, you will bear fruit for the kingdom of God. You will bear fruit for your own abundant life in Christ. Now, if you've been here for a while at ECC, you may know that 2020 was for ECC, as it was for many churches, a very difficult and painful season. And in the fall of that year, I went through a season of trial and a process of discerning whether it was right for me to remain here at ECC or to look for another church to serve. Some of you thought I should leave. Some of you thought I should stay. It was a serious conversation between me and God and other people that I trusted to speak the truth to me. And it was very painful. And in that time, God began to prune a few things out of my life so that I might become healthier and be able to bear more fruit for his kingdom. Over a period of eight months, I wrestled with God on these things. And I saw some branches pruned away and some others cleansed and cared for. And I I began to bear fruit in my life that I hadn't known before. It was painful and it was good. Because of that process and what God did in and is still doing in me, in my staff, in our council, in us as ECC as a whole, I am glad it happened. As I've said before, I don't ever want to go through it again, but I wouldn't change a thing as far as its impact on me. I wouldn't change a thing. Because it was in the pain and the suffering that God took the opportunity to prune and to purge and to cleanse me and us. Thanks be to God. But what does it mean for us to remain in the vine, to abide, to dwell there? How do we do it? 
One of the things that needed pruning from my life was my tendency to be conflict avoidant. Sometimes to avoid the potential pain of conflict and its, and its fallout, I, I would withdraw and hold it all in, which, you know, just makes it worse. As a metaphor, I was told that people like me, when faced with conflict, will sometimes leave the room. That is, we will withdraw into ourselves or engage in evasive maneuvers or change the subject or engage in numbing behaviors or try to minimize the conflict. The tendency to avoid conflict was present here in the office at ECC. For me, I'm speaking, I think it was for others too, but I'm speaking for myself now, and in my home. Kim and I argue very little. This March the 3rd, we'll be married 39 years. But we have had arguments and points of disagreement along the way. And one day she said to me, knowing this conversation about leaving the room and staying in the room, she said to me, do you realize that sometimes when we argue, maybe she said often, you will literally leave the room? I will find some way to disengage and go to another part of the house. And she'll yell something, "Ah, I can't hear you. It was a physical representation of something that needed to be pruned and purged in my life. I needed to learn to stay in the room, literally, physically, and metaphorically. Stay engaged, remain in the conversation, remain in relationship, and stay connected. I had to learn to stay in the room. As we've learned so far, to dwell is to delight in and to meditate on Scripture. It is to listen to, to converse with, to wrestle with God. And today, I want to suggest to you that particularly in a time of testing and pruning and difficulty, to dwell is to stay in the room. To stay in the room with Jesus, to be really clear. To dwell is to choose not to run or hide when things are painful, but to press into Jesus and remain in him. To continue to be present to Jesus. Jesus is always present with you, but you are not always present to Jesus. To stay in the room is to continue to intentionally be present to Jesus. This is what I had to do in the fall of 2020. The the easiest thing in the world, friends, the easiest thing in the world for me to do in the fall of 2020 is go find another church. It ain't going to be perfect, but it gives me a window, right? All the things that that are killing me here I can take a break from in the honeymoon phase of a new church and maybe get myself six months before the problems start. And there'll be new problems, not the same old ones. Easiest thing to do in the world. Just quit and go. But it became clear to me that God was telling me to stay in the room, to to work through this difficult time for me and for you so that we might bear fruit together on the other side. That's what I think of when I think of abiding and remaining, when I think of the grace of the pruning actions of God, to abide in Jesus, to remain in him, is to choose to stay in the room. Even and especially when things are difficult and painful, stay in the room with Jesus. Do not run away from Jesus. For that is the only way the Father God can continue to cleanse and to purge and to prune away the things that need to be healed or removed from our lives. If, if we run away, we miss out until we run back. Several times over the past year or two, I've shared with you 
from the teaching of uh, Jacques Philippe, who says that when things are difficult, when things are not going the way we want in life, we have three choices. Rebellion, resignation, or consent. Rebellion, resignation, or consent. That is, we can rebel against God in the midst of difficulty. We can give in to resignation in a sense of despair. Oh, well, this is just how it's always going to be. Or we can practice consent. We can say to God, I don't like it. I, I don't want it right now. I wish things were different. But I choose not to fight you in it, God. I choose not to resign to things in despair. I choose to give you my consent, God, that whatever you want to do in me, through me, in this time, you do it. Cleanse me, purge me, prune me as you see fit. Make me fruitful. I want to be clear. To say that sometimes God prunes us is not to say that God sends trial and pain and difficulty and suffering or evil our way. It is to say that these things will come. You and I live in a beautiful but broken world where sin and evil are still very much the reality. Our own sin and evil and the sin and evil in other people and the harm that they do to us. We will suffer. And suffering is often a tool that God uses to prune us and purge us. God doesn't cause the suffering, but God is unafraid to steward it, to use it, to cleanse our lives of what needs to be pruned or purged. So let us not rebel against these things. Let us not give in to hopeless resignation. Let us rather give our consent to God. Let us find the grace to stay in the room with Jesus and allow him to do in us what he wants to do. Practically speaking, this is going to involve some effort on our part. In the same way that any uh, important relationship or commitment requires effort. Verses 9 and 10 of John 15. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. First, note that this statement begins with the affirmation that Jesus loves us. Even before we do anything, Jesus loves us. Jesus loves us the way the Father God loves him. Then once we are assured of Christ's love for us, we then make the choice to remain in Christ's love. And we do that by learning to obey, by learning to live as he teaches us to live. Not perfectly, we're just on the way. And if we want to learn to better love God and to love others, we must be intentional about it. Intentionality is good and important in many areas of life. If you serve in a ministry here at ECC or you volunteer in the community, you make a commitment, you show up, you put it on your calendar, you show up and you serve. That's intentionality. If you're passionate about a sport that you play or a hobby that you have, you're intentional about that. You practice. You train. You set aside time and money, whatever it takes, to be involved in that sport and that hobby. If you want to show care to an ailing parent or someone in your family, you are intentional about staying in touch, about checking in to see what they need, showing up to help them if you can. If you are committed to your spouse, you tell them you love them, you demonstrate that love in practical ways, you plan special events and date nights. Brady and Karina McGee became a part of ECC early in the pandemic. They were here with us for a few years, and now they've moved on to their next phase of life. Brady has been commissioned to serve in the Air Force. They're awaiting assignment. I follow Karina on Instagram, uh, and in 2022, they went on a date a week and documented it. 
And in 2023, they are working their way through the alphabet for each date night. For the letter A, they went axe throwing. B was bowling. C was coffee. D was dinner. My favorite so far is axe throwing. They are intentional about their relationship. They are intentional about their marriage. In the same way, you and I who are married can be intentional. We can plan date nights. We can sign up for the marriage tune-up event coming up next Saturday evening. Hint, hint. Whether it's a sport, a hobby, a place to serve, or a relationship, we must be intentional. The same is true in our relationship with Christ. By doing this, by being intentional, by putting the effort in, by working, we are not earning God's favor. We are growing in our ability to remain in Christ and to remain continually present to Christ and the work of Christ in us and through us. Kristen Nevins is our coach with Spiritual Leadership, Inc., the organization that we have contracted with over the last couple of years uh, for our staff and council. And she keeps telling us over and over, we need to, when it comes to things we do in ministry, we need to move from intuitive to intentional. Move from intuitive to intentional, from merely doing things because we feel like it or think about it, well, maybe I should check on that, to doing things as a part of a plan. The same is true of learning to remain in or to abide in Christ we must move from intuitive to intentional. You see, to follow Jesus' commands, we need to know them. And to know them, we need to read them. And to read them, we need a plan. We need intentionality. Set the alarm 15 minutes earlier in the morning. Turn off the TV 15 minutes before you go to bed, earlier than you normally do. And engage in a plan to read, to pray, to listen to God. It does not have to be much. It does not have to be much. You do not have to read the Bible in a year. You just do not. Find a way that you can engage and do it. This morning as we close, however, I, I want to invite each of you to one of two responses. Maybe for some of you it be both. But for those of you who are not currently facing a crisis or a trial or pain of some kind, I invite you to reflect on a time when you did. How did you deal with that pain? Did you rebel against it? Did you give in to hopeless resignation? Or did you give God your consent to do whatever he wanted and needed to do in you during that season? What did you see? What did you experience? What did you learn? And then allow that reflection to lead you to the appropriate prayer. You might need to confess something to God about that process and your unwillingness to allow God to do things. You might want to pray a prayer of repentance, what you will do next time that happens. You might want to pray a prayer of thanksgiving or praise for what God did in that season. And then for those of us who are currently undergoing a trial of some kind, I want to invite you to spend a little time in silence here as I close. Reflect on whatever you happen to be going through and invite God to speak to you about what he is actually doing in you right now. What might God want to purge or prune or cleanse in your life during this season? And then if you would like, a few of us will be in different places just along the front of the sanctuary up here. Uh, to pray with you. When we close off the sermon, before we get to the final song, um, there'll be a few of us up here, and we just invite you to come forward and ask for prayer. You don't have to tell us what's going on. You can if you want to, or you can simply ask that we would pray a prayer that God will grant you comfort, that God will grant you wisdom, that God will help you be faithful to stay in the room with Jesus, come what may. Here's another thing. You may not think about this. 
when you come forward, whoever is there, please tell them your name. You would be surprised how hard it is to come up with the name of somebody you know really well when they're all coming at you. Even if you think you know it, just tell us your name. It feels stupid, but just do it. The people down here will thank you that they don't have to think, oh, do I know that person's name? I should. So just do that for us. So I invite you now to go with me to a time of silence. I'm going to pray, have a little bit of silence. And while I'm doing that, I want to invite um, Pastor Kurt and Janet Van Buskirk, Kim, Kate, Cogswell, and Joe Smith to come forward uh, and to be prepared to receive you at this time. Let's go as they're coming forward. Let's go to the Lord for a moment of silence. God, we pray now that you would um, come to us, that you would speak to us, that you would uh, tell us what we need to do, what our response is this morning to uh, our own ability or inability to abide in you when we most need to. So we open ourselves up to you now, Lord, in Jesus' name. as you would like.
folks who have come forward and for those for whatever reason have not come forward would you meet us lord god in our sorrow in our trial in our pain in our anger in our isolation in our loneliness in our sadness in our grief would you meet us lord in those places where we feel opposed by all the world maybe in those places where we feel opposed by you would you show us your love and your mercy your presence, Lord, that you are present with us. I pray for those who are joining us online who could not come down, Lord, meet them where they are. You know the challenges in their lives and their hearts and their relationship far better than we do, far better than they do. Lord, would you reveal yourself to them as well, wherever they are hearing this or watching this. May they know that you are present with them, Lord, and may they find the grace to be present to you this day and in the days and weeks to come. God, we give you each of these people that we have prayed for. We give you ourselves in the future as we will inevitably come up against things that challenge us, things that grieve us, things that anger us, things that would make it difficult to even to go on for some of us. We ask that you would meet us there, or rather that we would meet you there, that we would become aware of your presence and find the grace, the humility to remain in you to stay in the room and be present to you. In Jesus' name.